Hello, and welcome to Highland Church Audio Sermons. Today, November 18th, 2018, we're continuing our series titled Knowing Truth, The Letters of John. And in today's sermon, Discerning Truth and Error, Pastor Bob Wade will be teaching from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We hope you enjoy. In a world of disagreements, large and small. I don't believe that you exist. Go think whatever you want. Go ahead. How can a good and powerful God allow innocent people suffer unspeakable tragedies? But then there's all these questions, you know, about ethics and moral issues as well. And I would say, well, they're crazy for not testing what they think they believe. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. It's as real as what you see. And, and I begin with the assumption that God is love. And love is love is love is love. I think that the orthodox, historic Christian tradition is this vast, diverse conversation that's been going on for thousands of years. Have you ever heard somebody say, it doesn't really matter what you believe, just that you believe? That's not a true statement. It's not biblical. I mean, we can believe things that are not true. For example, if I came in this morning and, you know, just had way too much sugar and too much coffee or something like that and decided that I was going to climb up to the top and got up in the rafters up here, and, and I believe, if I say, you know, look, if I just believe that I'm going to let go and then I'm just going to flap my arms fast enough like this that I'll fly. Well, I wouldn't be flying, I'd be falling. You see, not everything that we believe can be true. What we believe matters, especially what we believe spiritually. Because not everything that is spiritual is good. That is the context of 1 John chapter 4 that we're looking at this morning. John is going to tell us that some teaching comes from God. In fact, he'll use the phrase from God six times in six verses. But he's also going to tell us that there is some teaching that comes from a different spirit. And he'll actually distinguish those spirits. If you're looking at that, he'll distinguish between the two by using a capital S for the Holy Spirit and a lowercase s for the spirit from the world. The issue is, and I want to make sure that you catch this, believer, we're only supposed to be following one spirit. Are you? Now, let's look at the passage together. Just follow along with me as I read this through. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John writes and he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now what John's going to do, he's going to tell us three things here this morning. The first thing he's going to tell us is the command. 
We're going to see that in verse 1. The command here is to test the teaching. Let me read verse 1 just one more time to make sure we've got this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see that where they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. What he's saying is, don't believe every teaching. Well, why? Because every teacher is motivated by a spirit. We're supposed to figure out which spirit is motivating a teaching. There's only two possibilities here he gives us. Either you're either motivated by God's Holy Spirit or you're motivated by a worldly spirit, a demonic spirit. And notice what John says here because there's many that fall into that category. He'll start off and he'll say, but many false spirits have gone out into the world. In other words, these are teachers that are not led by God's Holy Spirit. Now this isn't the only place this is mentioned. Keep your finger here in John and go over to the left to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to what he says here in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes and he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Go over to the right, excuse me, to the left, to Acts chapter 20. Right after the Gospel of John, Acts chapter 20. Luke, the writer of Acts, would say this in verses 29 and 30. He would say, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. One more. Go all the way back before, just before you get to 1 John, go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachings among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So John here is talking about the same thing that's been mentioned in other places in the scriptures, that there is serious spiritual deception, what we would call false teaching that's out there. Teaching that would try to lead you away. Now the reason why I think this is an important deal is because there are a lot of Christians, or a lot of people who call themselves Christians, that are actually not all that discerning when it comes to false teaching. We tend to think that anybody that even utters the name of Jesus fits in the kingdom of God. That makes us a little bit gullible, in fact, even naive at times. You know, we can want so badly at times to to have everybody feel like they're loved and and to be loving at times that we just include everybody at the point of, of, of truth, that we're just throwing out the window. Wanting to lock arms and sing kumbaya and sounding loving and appealing. I mean, nobody wants to sound judgmental and intolerant. And yet, truth and kindness are not mutually exclusive. You know, being kind to others and considerate shouldn't have to mean we throw truth out the window for the sake of unity. 
And so John says, test the spirits. He's telling us to be discerning. And we have to be discerning because not everything is true, even if it seems sincere. I mean, sincerity doesn't change error into truth. Want an example? When my kids were young, I let them watch all the Jaws movies. That probably was not my finest parenting moment. So we go out to Saguaro Lake. Well, I find out at that point that they think that every body of water has man-eating sharks in it. They wouldn't get in the lake. You know, I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm holding them. I'll walk out with you. I'm like, you know. They were totally sincere and totally wrong. That's difficult, you know, for us because for many of us, you know, we want or we think that somehow sincerity should trump truth, right? Like that's the ultimate. I got to be honest with you, you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible is also not an inclusive book. Did you know that? The Bible doesn't teach us that there's many ways up the mountain. It does not teach that. Well, I, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you just believe that there's a God and you know, there's all these different ways. If you want to go by faith or you want to go by grace and they want to go by works, does it really matter? Yes. You're not allowed to believe anything that you want. Jesus himself declared that truth. Keep your finger here and go back to John chapter 14. The Gospel of John. Jesus makes one of the most powerful and yet non-inclusive truths that there is here in John chapter 14, verse 6. Talking to his own disciples, they're worried about some different things that are coming in the future, and he says this statement in verse 6, and Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. But he doesn't stop there. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, personally, there are a lot of people out there that may not like that statement, and if that's the case even with you, that's really certainly between you and God. But I'm inclined to believe that since God created the world, he makes the rules. Maybe you would have done it differently. He didn't. He provides one way. Now go back to 1 John chapter 4. He starts off there with the word in verse 1, beloved. Obviously, he's writing here to the church. He wants to make sure that the people in the church are not placing their confidence on every single person that walks through and uses the name of Jesus because not everyone was meaning the same thing when they said that. Remember the Gnostics at this time were teaching that Jesus, that, that, that they were teaching that all flesh is bad but the spirit is good. But what John is saying here is that not all the spirit realm is good. I mean, just because something is supernatural doesn't make it good. James chapter 3, verse 15 tells it there's false teaching that is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. We know that's out there. You know, as Christians, 
We're not to be naive. We're not to believe that everything in the spiritual realm is good. There is a dark side. And as Christians, we need to understand that and believe that. And yet, you know what's interesting is when you talk to many people, they'll say, you know, I'm not really sure I even believe in that whole spiritual realm stuff. And I don't know. If I can't see it, I don't know if I believe it. Well, think about it like this. You know, we're limited to five senses. You know, we have the sense of touch, taste, smell, hearing, sight. We tend to run everything through those senses, right? But what if you're blind? If you're blind, does that mean that nothing's out there? Because you can't see it? Or what if you lose your hearing? Does that mean there's no sound anymore? The sound doesn't exist? Well, I don't hear it, so obviously it's not there. Or what if you go down to the local Thai restaurant and you eat some Thai food that is so stinking hot that it burns, you know, all your taste buds out completely and now there's no more taste? Does that mean there's no taste in the world? No, of course not. Remember I said we're limited to our five senses? Jesus himself taught that there was a demonic realm. I mean, keep your finger here in 1 John. Go over to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Look at verses 24, 25, and 26. It tells us in verse 24, when the unclean spirit had gone out of the person, it passes through the waterless places, seeking rest and finding none of it. And it says, I will return to my house, which, he, which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes, and it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. That sure sounds like the author, who is Jesus, believes there is a spiritual realm that's negative. Folks, there are whole races in the spiritual realm. I mean, in Genesis chapter 3, it talks about the cherubim. In Isaiah 6, it talks about the seraphim. There are some angels out there that have given names like Michael and Gabriel. There are untold numbers of these creatures. I mean, Hebrews 12 talks about myriads of angels. Revelation 5 talks about myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands. Revelation 12, verse 4 tells us that when Lucifer fell, that he took a third of the angels with him and God literally cleared them out of heaven and threw them down to earth. And if you were here during our study of the book of Ephesians, you know that in Ephesians 6, 12, it tells us that's where our battle is today. We live in a spiritual battle. And so John here is saying not every spirit out there is good. Test the spirits. He uses this Greek word dokomazo, means examine it to make sure that it's worthy. And we ought to do that with every single teaching there is, including here at Highlands Church. I mean, think about it. How many times have you did, Brendan did this morning. We're singing a song, Brendan stops and stops and reads the scriptures where it comes from. That's because as a people, we want to make sure that not only are you learning, but you're even singing the things that match up with Scripture. Not just something that maybe that's emotionally moving. 
Now, there's a second truth he gets to, and that's in verses 2 and 3, and that is the test. And the test is, who do you see Jesus is, or who do you say that he is? Look what he says in verse 2. He says, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So the good news here out of verses 2 and 3 is you can know the difference between teaching that's from God and teaching that's from the world because the test is that they will teach that Jesus came in the flesh from God. Now they're not just teaching that Jesus came. They're teaching that he came from an entirely different realm. Now the reason why this is a big deal is because this is the dividing line of faith, particularly in America. You ever heard of a guy named Dr. Walter Martin? Dr. Walter Martin wrote a book called Kingdom of the Cults. It's a big book that was written back, I think, in the 70s. And he has one whole chapter called Jesus and the Cults. Let me just read some of these things to you or tell you about some of these. One very prominent cult in America teaches this about Jesus. That Jesus, before he came to earth, was Michael the archangel. And Jehovah allowed him to get rid of his angelic nature and appear in the world as a man. He became a God-like figure, but not the Son of God. Another prominent cult teaches this. That there are multitudes of God. And our God was once a man just like us before he came to earth. He was a created being and actually had a brother named Lucifer, the devil. And the heavenly father, a God of flesh and bones, comes down to earth, has intercourse with Mary, and that's how Jesus was conceived. That furthermore, Jesus was the husband of both Mary and Martha, and maybe even Mary Magdalene too, and he had children by all of them. You're not supposed to put your arms around that and sing kumbaya. You understand what I'm saying? That's not biblical. All of this fits into what verse 3 tells us. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. You know what that word means? Anti-Messiah. Anti-God sending his son into the world to be the Messiah that would come and die on a cross to save us. That's what this is about. Verses 2 and 3 here specifically that this test is that Jesus would come in the flesh. Now, this is where it gets even kind of a little bit tricky because most you know, cults, if you ask them, do you believe Jesus came in the flesh? They will actually say yes, but what they mean is he was merely a man. He was not on par with God the Father, that he's secondary at best. He's little g, not big g. That he was a man. That the Spirit of God simply used. Remember what I told you about the Gnostics. They taught that they were teaching at this point in the church that Jesus was a man, that the Spirit of God came and resided on him, sat on him, and, and came on him at his baptism and left him before his crucifixion. What John is telling us here is that just believing is not the answer that we need to believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, that God has come in the flesh. That's what it means to understand the promised Messiah. 
Keep your finger here and go all the way back into the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 7. Just before the book of Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 7. This is what, the God, what God tells the prophet Isaiah. He says, therefore, verse 14, he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. That's a pretty good place to start. The Lord's going to give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. This is the issue. We are not to believe indiscriminately. True faith means we examine the object of our faith before we bless it. In this case, the issue is, who do we see Jesus as? Jesus was not just a good guy or great teacher. He was 100% fully God so that he would come to the earth and fully represent the Godhead. And he was 100% fully man to fully represent man. You want to know where that's at? Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verses 14, 15, and 16. Verse 14 says, Then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is the perfect high priest because it says he passed through the heavens. He is God of all time. And yet he came and he's able to go through every single testing and temptation that we are, yet because he's fully human, yet without sin. This is what makes him remarkable. Go back to the Gospel of John for a minute. Go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look at what he says, verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, stop for a second here. Let's not be confusing. Is the Word God? That's exactly what it said, right? Let me read it one more time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Pretty clear. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is that of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the issue. This was the issue back in the first century. It's still an issue today. Now, there's a third thing that, that John's going to tell us here back in 1 John 4. 
And that is, we have an encouragement. The encouragement of the one who lives inside of us is greater than all. Look what he says here in verses 4 through 6. He says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He starts off in verse 4, and he says, You, as opposed to they. You, however, have held fast. You have overcome. You're from God. Why? What makes us be able to overcome? Well, the verse there says, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Implying that the one that's in the world is powerful, but the one that is in you is ultimately more powerful. He's greater. You know what the beauty of that is? It hits on two really important points. It starts off and it says, he who is within you. You know what that teaches us? That teaches us that Jesus, that God come to earth is personal. Greater is he that is in you. than he that is in the world. He is personal and he is powerful. And that is the encouragement that we have to live by. Verse four here even tells us that our victory comes in a past tense mode. Look what he says. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. It's a done deal. When you come to faith in Christ, it is a done deal. You have overcome. Verse five. He says, they, talking about the false teachers, they are from the world. What's he mean? Well, keep your finger here and go back to Ephesians chapter 2 for a second. Ephesians chapter 2. He starts off here in in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and he says this. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When we, before we come to faith in Christ spiritually, the scriptures say we're dead spiritually. And that we're going to follow the power that's in control of everything, and that is the worldly power that's out there, the world's message, which is motivated, according to this passage, by the prince of the power of the air. That would be Satan. We're not supposed to do that. I don't buy the world's lies. I don't follow their path. I don't worry about their philosophy, and I don't worry about their logic. I go back to the word. Verse 5 and 6 here, John contrasts the false teachers and the apostles by their audiences. In verse 5, he tells us the world, it follows the false teachers. In verse 6, he says, whoever knows God follows the teachings of the apostles. Think about this for a second. Have you ever thought about what you believe about Jesus? 
to deny Jesus' humanity, to deny that he came in the flesh, to deny that he was 100% man is to deny that he is the Savior. Because if he's not fully man, he could not have assumed your sins on the cross and died for them. And that means faith in him would be worthless. On the other side of it, to deny that he's fully God would mean that he is a sinner just like you and I. Because if he's not fully God, he's a man. And that means his death on the cross could not have saved you because it would have taken his own death just to atone for his own personal sins. You see the significance here? To deny that Jesus is fully God and fully man is to deny the Christian faith, period. So the question is, what do you believe about Jesus? Jesus himself knew he was the issue. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 40, he quotes from Psalm 118, and he says this about himself. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Listen, Jesus is the stone that the heretics of the first century stumbled over. He is the stone that people stumble over still today. Well, I can't see the spiritual realm and I don't know how that would all work, so I guess I just don't believe it. There is a realm that goes beyond that called faith. Peter knew that this was the issue for people. So in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he stopped and he says the very same thing. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. But then he immediately follows it up with a message of salvation that only rests in Jesus. And he says in verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way for you and I to be saved than to put our trust in the fact that Jesus came in the flesh from God to come, to die on a cross, to overcome the grave, that he might take your sin and my sin and be the Savior. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Is it possible this morning that your heart is racing and God is calling you to himself this morning? Would you do me a favor? Would you pray with me? I'd appreciate if just for a second you take a moment and just close your eyes for a second. Not because there's anything spiritual, even remotely spiritual about closing your eyes but it causes you to focus in on you. Do you believe? Not just that there's a higher power that, that you might call Jesus, 
But do you believe that God sent his son into the world in the flesh to suffer and die for you? Do you believe that? That is the dividing line of faith right there. If this morning that's something that's ringing in your heart and you could say, I do believe, and you've never confessed that before, I want to give you an opportunity to begin a relationship with God right where you're at. I'm going to pray a prayer and I'll pray it out loud and I'd ask you just to pray after me silently if you've never done that. Dear God, I need you. I want to thank you for sending your son in the flesh to come and die for me. That you would forgive me, that you would make me your child. And I ask you to live inside of me, control me. I give you all right, all authority to govern my life. Thank you for loving and forgiving me. Let me ask you a question. Nobody's looking around. But if you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor just so that we could pray? Would you just slip your hand up high enough so I could see it? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. I want you to know that as we end the service this morning, there's going to be a whole group of people that will be down here in the front that are always available. They see it as their ministry to stop and just to pray with people that have any need whatsoever. I'd encourage you that if you made that decision to follow Christ, that you would come down and pray with one of them just to solidify where you're at spiritually. Father, thank you so much for your great love, for your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that it's real in the hearts of us that we would know that you sent your son in the flesh to die for us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that the builders rejected. He is the stone that the heretics stumble over, but he is the stone that you and I build our lives on. Amen. God bless you guys.